Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 87 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today's topic has been one that repeats over and over in the clinical realm and serves as the premise of my upcoming book, The Anti-Anxiety Diet. The role of anxiety can be a driver of dysfunction on whole body health, and today specifically, I am focusing on the gut-brain access and how stress and anxiety itself can drive leaky gut. Yes. And I think we focus so much on leaky gut in our clinical scope with food sensitivity and autoimmune disease, but rarely do we transfer this as a primary driver of mental health or mood stability. For sure. You know, I think initially when I started working with the concept of leaky gut, I was using the specific carbohydrate diet clinically and the GAPS approach. And so of course that standing for gut and psychology syndrome, uh, definitely had an emphasis of the connection of the blood-brain barrier and the influence of gut on mood. But as paleo and kind of the up-to-date autoimmune movement has taken into, I think, the more of the mainstream health-conscious community, we've taken the connection to mental health and mood stability out of the equation many times. And we often forget about the role of leaky gut on mood. Yes, for sure. And I actually just received a pre-release copy of the anti-anxiety diet. I'm so excited. And you guys, it is so jam-packed with goodness from the multifactorial approach that you take, Allie, with tons of scientific studies to support the mechanisms of how anxiety is caused by functional imbalance in the body and how often there's a chicken and egg relationship with a psychological imbalance then drives more anxiety. So let's talk about your six R's that you use as the premise of the book to kick things off. Okay, sure. So like I said, today we're going to be talking about kind of two of them as an overlap. Um, And in functional medicine, we often, again, are, are digging for the root causes of chronic conditions. So I often say that I'm like a detective of the body, always trying to understand with each patient what is their antecedent or their their triggering event and what serves as their individual Achilles heel or root cause, if you will, of their chronic condition. And I have found that anxiety itself and or chronic stress with unmanaged stress access, that, that HPA fight or flight access in the body, often drives chronic illness. And then on the other end of the spectrum, often things like inflammation, gut bacteria imbalance, gut integrity, micronutrient deficiencies, adrenal imbalance, and neurotransmitter imbalance can drive anxiety and depression and unmanaged stress access. So there's totally a chicken and egg relationship. Um, And I've broken down my book as having six foundational R's to manage and address your root cause of anxiety. And so the first R is removing inflammatory foods. 
Then it's followed by resetting your gut microbiome, repairing your gut lining, restoring your micronutrient status, rebounding your adrenals, and rebalancing your neurotransmitters. So we take an approach with all of these different entry points of how you can resolve the mood imbalance and have cognitive clarity and healthy response to stress. But also we talk about hand in hand how making those changes is going to prevent chronic disease and optimize wellness in your body. Awesome. And my favorite part of the book is that each chapter is going to have a quiz for self-assessment. So not everyone will go through all six of these R's or they won't do it in the same order per se. So you'll take a quiz for self-assessment to see where you're falling and, and where your area of focus or maybe a couple of areas need to be. And then each chapter also has recipes with food as medicine prescriptions to support each R. So we have a matcha green smoothie, some walnut maca caramels, which are awesome, and um, turmeric orange gummies that I'm really excited about. And there are actually over 50 recipes plus a two-week meal plan of laying out all of those recipes in an easy-to-approach way. Totally. So it, it has kind of this approach using food as medicine in abundance, but then you can, and you can start doing all of the recipes right away and follow the meal plan and follow the constructs of the diet, but you might go into more functional lab assessments. If you really score poorly on a quiz in one particular area, you might determine you need advanced lab workup, or you can use my supplement table in the appendix to determine particular formulas that might be warranted as needed to get you out of water and really accelerate your outcomes. And like you said, Becky, someone I was talking just a couple weeks ago in Houston, and um, I did three lectures in 24 hours, which was an awesome idea <laughs> and not a big hit to the adrenals at all. And um, I was talking, though, to a lot of the people in Houston still within a year and a half of Harvey hitting. And, you know, it, it was an interesting thing to think that a lot of them are coming into this picture with more of the rebounding of adrenals because of the cortisol response from being in a hurricane situation and a survival mentality. And then, you know, speaking to a mother's group in a different area, non-regional, we might be speaking more about micronutrient status because they just carried a child and produced nourishment for a child for like a year of breastfeeding. So they've been sharing their body as a vessel with another being and really leaching out a lot of nutrients. And then, you know, if we're talking about someone dealing with dermatological conditions or like eczema or psoriasis, we'd be probably focusing on entering with the GI lining, um, repairing that gut lining. So everyone's going to have a different start, but it's important to recognize that all of these R's are important to regulate and optimize to get good balanced mood and to reduce anxiety, anticipatory stress, rumination, and really stop racing thoughts. Awesome. And I think the chapter that really kind of hit home and connected the dots for me was um, about both the chapters of repairing the, the gut lining and resetting the microbiome. And these are things that I address you know, on a daily basis with clients, but I don't necessarily always make the connection of stress and anxiety uh, that can directly drive and perpetuate this dysfunction. So let's start off with why the gut is considered the second brain of the body. 
Sure. I think that's a great foundational area to begin. And this was an area that my publishers were like, what is this? <laughs> a lot of beep boop <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll try to keep it real. Um, so the important things to recognize are we, we are starting to acknowledge in up-to-date clinical research that there is this enteric nervous system, and this is the nervous system within the GI tract. And the enteric nervous system has more neurons in it than the spinal cord of the central nervous system. So the gut itself functions pretty dynamically in direct communication with exchanges through the spinal cord that runs up and down the vagus nerve, which goes from the base of our brain down to our colon. And there is a synergy of communication between the neuropeptides. And we see that neuropeptides from stress influence alone. So this could be emotional stress like anxiety or mental stress, like just having a high demanding job or um, I didn't posit that <laughs> we, we don't have a demanding job. Um, yeah, not us. <laughs> so it could be from mental anxiety or having a demanding job, you know, working in a medical setting, working as an attorney, whatever your position may be, it could be based on emotional stress. But stress itself, actually, we see can influence the mucosal barrier and gut junctions. So there's particular neuropeptides from stress that influence the gut lining and the tightness of the gut. And then we also think of the gut as the manufacturing house for many neurotransmitters. In fact, 90% of our serotonin, which is one of those main feel-good, relaxing inhibitory uh, neurotransmitters, which shuts down our stress and anxiety response. 90% of that is made in the gut. So that definitely makes the gut the second brain of the body. And then the fourth point on this connection here is that we see that balancing our gut bacteria. So when we get a good symbiotic environment of good positive strains of gut bacteria, we can actually see an increase of the production of brain-derived neurotropic factor. And that's known as BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor. And in your body, what that does is it stimulates helpful development of the function of your brain. And we see that this marker, when it's declined, can be associated with psychosis, neurodegenerative diseases, Alzheimer's, and dementia. So knowing that connection, there's a whole gamut, <laughs> but it's basically bacterial and stress mediated and gut lining mediated. And that's how the gut controls the brain. So essentially there's this feedback mechanism where the gut influences the brain via its microbes and then neurotransmitters are produced. Am I yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, taking it again, that like even further nerdy, big word <laughs> further, um, you know, it, it's this, these new findings specifically on even the function of the brain beyond neurotransmitters. So when we're talking about this BDNF and the function in the central nervous system, we see that it does influence changes in our neurotransmitter function because it can actually modulate pathways, like a particular pathway where serotonin is going to be metabolized. And that particular pathway, the kynorinian, I don't know if I'm saying that right, the kynorinian pathway um, is where we metabolize serotonin. And we've seen in studies that this connects to inflammation, how the immune system is regulated, our neurological conditions, 
And it also plays a dynamic role in the synthesis of NAD, which is a big anti-aging component. It plays a big role with our energy production, so chronic fatigue and all of those types of diseases and just feeling well and stable. So there's actually an influence on youth and anti-aging effect in the brain when the second brain of the body or the gut is in optimum function. So freaking cool. And yeah. then, <laughs> um, and then we're talking also about, um, inflammatory foods as drivers of dysfunction in this gut brain connection. Um, shall we move on to that or did you have more? On yeah. The- Okay. Yeah. Good. Well, I did have one more. I know. I, th- I thought you might. <laughs> the only other thing, because I just kind of went offside, is yes. So there is the microbiome connection, of course. And I talked about how also the biome itself can influence this BDNF and that can keep the brain youthful and that can provide energy. That's kind of the easiest way to say what I just said. Um, and the other thing to note, though, again, full circle back and forth, back and forth, is that we know that the byproduct of bacteria, which is known as short-chain fatty acids. So we look at like butyrate as a big one. And butyrate is actually found also in ghee, which is why we love ghee in the diet. Um, But butyrate is manufactured by good bugs in the gut, predominantly lacto and bifido strains. And butyrate and good healthy short-chain fatty acids have a huge myriad, I won't even list them, of health-supporting benefits. But they can cross the blood-brain barrier And they themselves also can support reductions in inflammation and optimize brain function. So it's like beyond the production of neurotransmitters and the signals along neuropeptides, there's actually these mechanisms in the blood and there's this constant feedback and forth between the brain and the gut on how our body basically performs across the board. Awesome. So cool. And I'd always thought of butyrate just in the sense of protection against colon cancer and things like that. Yeah. Super, super interesting. Yeah. I mean, it works with in conjunction with ketones, you know, so mm-hmm. it has a huge high brain octane performance mode. Um, and definitely the microbiome is the biggest producer of that. Awesome. All right. Now let's talk about food sensitivities. So yeah, yeah. Uh, what's the role kind of in general of what we consider inflammatory foods and um, kind of the body's process when it does respond to an irritant? How does that affect the brain? Yeah. So if we're talking about this brain influence from the gut or the gut brain access, the idea that leaky gut or when foods drive inflammation in the body. So this idea that if the gut lining is damaged, which can be done again through mental stress, um, or this can be influenced through, of course, exposure to toxins, but mental stress is kind of what we're focusing on today, then we can have more susceptibility to foods crossing that gut blood barrier. And through that gut blood barrier, larger compounds pass, and that's what we see with leaky gut, and many of them can cross the blood-brain barrier. And if they pair with inflammatory chemical release, like let's say these compounds cross into the bloodstream and maybe they're too big themselves to pass into the brain itself, well, we can still have a response in the immune system releasing inflammation, and then the inflammatory chemicals themselves can cross the blood-brain barrier. So either way, it's about this influence of inflammatory foods create inflammation in the body, which releases chemical warfare of inflammation. And that itself can interfere with 
the brain function or mood stability. And if we take it specific to our digestive tract, uh, we think of the gut, there's a term, the GALT, the gut-associated lymphatic tissue. And this is where most of the immune system resides. And our immune system responds to inflammatory irritants with these, again, chemical mediator warfare or basically chemical compounds like prostaglandins and interleukins and, and leukotrienes, those are the fancy biochem terms. But basically, the immune system responds in inflammation or chemical warfare. And you think of this response in the belly as a response that would occur if you like, uh, you know, run your elbow into the wall or bump it on a table. You're going to get swelling in that area. You're going to get tenderness to touch. You're going to get redness, pain, loss of function. So the same type of response occurs in our GI tract when we are exposed to inflammatory foods. We get less blood flow, which means we carry less nutrients in through our body or absorb less nutrients. We see fluid retention, so a distended bloated belly or uh, like that food baby that some people talk about. We see pain like cramping or GI tenderness. We see loss of function, so either too rapid of GI uh, movement causing like loose stool or too slow of motility. And the question is, is basically, if you think of that compared, that GI response compared to that elbow response, the body's responding just like a bumped elbow or maybe even a stab wound in the same way that it would to something like a corn chip, let's say. Um, so I know in episode, which is pretty dramatic of a comparison, I know. <laughs> I think it's but, good though. I think but, it, it drives it home. <laughs> you know, and I think like every time you put something in your mouth, you think of, are you injuring your body and driving chronic inflammation or are you eating something that's allowing optimized GI function? So I know in episode 54, which is actually called The Anti-Anxiety Diet, that's when I was just, I think I had just like signed my book deal and was putting together the premise. So go back and listen to that if you want to learn more about the inflammatory influence of how inflammatory foods can drive anxiety. And we talk about in detail gluten, corn, soy, uh, dairy, and pre predominantly casein. And then um, the role of in industrialized oils and sugar. Awesome. So yeah, let's, um, before we move on, just do a quick shout out to specifically sugar and depression and anxiety um, because your book uses keto as a tool and as a tool, excuse me. Um, and I don't know that we touched on that so much back in episode 54. And even if we did, it was a while ago. So let's talk sugar. Yeah, we didn't. Yeah. I, I think at that time I was trying to determine if I was going to even go into macros. And so we really talked about, we talked about sugar uh, in that episode, but not the idea of ketones. And so I know of course in many episodes, because it's a part of what I do with naturally nourished and a part of my lifestyle as, as, someone who uses the ketogenic diet and has for a while, I've spoken to its mood stabilizing effects. But, but yes, my book uses a ketogenic diet as an entry point minimum. And the idea is that we've seen in studies that elevated blood sugar levels are more than two times more likely to develop depression and anxiety. And we also know that we're calling dementia and Alzheimer's type 3 diabetes. So we know that elevated blood sugar levels creates more of those advanced glycation end products or ages, and that that interferes with optimized mood and also can drive more anxiety, panic, and distress, as well as 
episodes of hypo and hyperglycemia, which can mimic that as well. And we also know that that whole idea of the ketogenic diet being kind of birthed through treatment of epilepsy in the 1940s, that ketones help to sit on our excitatory neuro influencers. So thinking of the influence of a seizure, you know, it's this rapid impulse out of control spasming of the excitatory nervous system. Well, anxiety and panic attacks don't typically go to that level, but we do know that ketones also can sit on those receptors to reduce that excitatory activity and promote a more mental stabilized mood. And we know that ketones themselves beyond mechanically being able to sit on those areas of the brain also create or are made in the conditions of other metabolic regulators. So we see an influence on our GABA, which that may have a role with that, that tremor and shakiness. GABA is one of those just like serotonin, kind of mellower outer neurotransmitters. And then we see an influence on HGH, which is human growth hormone. So this plays a role with fertility, this plays a role with muscle mass, but also plays a role with mood stability. And then an influence with ketone bodies, product production and the leptin, which we've talked about with our carb cycling episode pretty thoroughly. But the big hit within this is that ketosis itself can be very grounding and stabilizing to the mood. I know, Becky, you've experienced it. I've experienced it. I think that's why once you go keto, you have a hard time kind of fully transitioning out. You might yeah. carb cycle, you might have an experience, but you're going to be craving getting back in. Uh, that's at least personally how I always feel. No, definitely the the mental clarity and yeah, the the mood stability for sure. I think my husband really likes when I'm in keto because I am more even keeled <laughs> and sure. less anxious. I mean, I take a lot of supplements too, like calm and clear, you know, a million times a day. But hey, it's it's all good. And yeah, I mean, it all adds up. It sure does, and I definitely feel the influence versus when I'm not in keto. Right. So. Uh, in your lectures recently, uh, you've been opening with uh, stress or anxiety as the Achilles heel of wellness. So let's talk about um, what role chronic stress or anxiety has actually on gut integrity, because I think this one blew a lot of people's minds in our uh, last couple of lectures. Sure. So one of the most direct things is that there is a drop in secretory IgA, which is a marker of the mucosal membrane, which is what lines basically our ear, nose, and throat all the way down our gut and also even like our vaginal canal. But uh, the secretory IgA tends to respond and drop too low in the sense of leaky gut. And we see in research that stress and anxiety can deplete or break down secretory IgA. We see an increase in LPS, uh, which is a compound that responds generally to bacteria and also is associated with the um, influence of leaky gut. We see a sterilization to the gut, where actual gut bacteria just completely become sterilized in a high stress or anxiety-ridden influence, and we see a depletion of nutrients. So those are kind of four entry points, if you will, of influence of anxiety-driving big drivers of functional medicine root causes of disease, if you will. So let's go a little deeper into each of these and okay. let's just talk about how anxiety can wreak havoc on each area of concern. So starting back with the secretory IgA, 
Um, how does that all work? How is that measured even? And Yeah, yeah, good. Okay, yeah, let's do this. So um, secretory IgA can actually first acutely respond in excess to stress and anxiety, and also we'll see it in excess if it is if the body's in a state of battle. So if you have pathogenic bacteria present, or if you are fighting a virus, uh, or even yeast overgrowth in the body, we'll see an elevation of secretory IgA. And this can be measured in the saliva or the stool. Uh, those are the two pretty most common or most functional assessments of that. And then we can see these values depleted over chronic long-term. So it's kind of like in a way you can think of almost cortisol, right? Where there's like that immediate peak and then it poop, gets pooped out. Uh, secretory IgA works in that similar way. Again, stress and anxiety tends to drive excess. And then over time, it burns, burns, burns. And as that level goes down, that's a strong indicator of leaky gut and probably needing to look deeper into like an inflammatory food panel and definitely using compounds, which we'll talk about later in this episode about how to kind of support that gut lining. But there's a study that I reference in my book where they looked at mice uh, and they exposed them to electrical shocks, so actual physical stress. And then they also uh, exposed a different population of mice to emotional stress. They had them separated from their mothers so they could see their mothers, but they weren't able to access them, which is just terrible. And both demonstrated an acute rise followed by a chronic drop. And we also saw in the emotional stress, sterilization of lactobacillus good bacteria. So wild and so cool to think yeah. about. And like those mice were not eating an inflammatory food. So the, the thing that's wild that I hope that you all listening get is like, you can have the cleanest diet in the world, but mm -hmm. your system can become inflamed to even the healthiest AIP diet if you're dealing with chronic emotional stress, because that itself causes dysbiosis and that itself causes leaky gut. Right. It's so, so wild. And then you add the influence of making less digestive enzymes. We haven't even gotten to that. And I yeah. don't know if we, oh, I think we, we are. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. You're right. You're right. For sure. Yeah. Um, so let's touch on LPS again. So you said it's related to both pathogenic bacteria, but also in an isolated way related to stress. Yes. So lipopolysaccharide, and it actually is an, an endotoxin, right? So this is a toxin that's made by the body and it is released in the presence of bacterial imbalance or bad bacteria. And basically one of the mechanisms is it's released higher in the presence of bad bacteria in the gut to drive leaky gut, to get the bacteria out of the gut contents. Okay. So that in sense kind of makes theory, but is, is bad because it's making basically little poking holes, drilling holes through the belly or through the GI tract, truly not the belly, but uh, drilling holes through your GI lining based on the presence of pathogens in a way to kind of get them out. So we've seen though also in studies, yes, that like I mentioned, emotional and social stress alone, they've actually looked at social anxiety. So observing people in public speaking or in parties or areas where they're out of their comfort zone and they've measured LPS in the blood and LPS levels increase in anxious individuals, depressed individuals, and those under social anxiety state. So again, literally like being in a group where you're uncomfortable and you're experiencing things like sweaty palms and 
uh, heart palpitation and nerves and race, racing thoughts and, you know, just self doubt that alone, again, regardless of even your bacteria state can start to drill those holes in your GI tract and that causes inflammation. And then your blood brain barrier gets an influence of inflammatory chemicals that interferes with mood and mental health. And then you're more anxious at the party. It's like, do, 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 do. Oh my goodness. So a good excuse to get out of public speaking. (laughs) I mean, maybe not the solution, but, but, or, or, you know, like we talk about a lot, actually take a GABA calm Mm -hmm. preemptively before you go public speak. Yeah. That's something that I do before I lecture across the board. I take CBD, GABA calm and calm and clear, and I'll usually take some adrenal support. So at least my system isn't going into that Ah, alarm system and upregulating that release of LPS. And that's one way that I can stay above the, the water. And then there's definitely preemptive things you can do for gut lining, which I'll, I'll talk about as well today. Sure. So, so cool how if you can't get out of the public speaking obligation, that's a part must, of your life. <laughs> right. So, if you must give the presentation, uh, you can really support the body so that these things don't happen. Yeah. You might as well put up a good army of defense and be proactive with your healthcare. And I always say that when people ask me about how many supplements do you take? What do you do? It's like, yeah, but I want to feel amazing. I want to feel resilient. And I put my body and mind through a lot on a daily basis. And I want to keep doing that until maybe not how old does Dave Asprey want to live? <laughs> maybe not over I think 180. Yeah. I think I'll be good with like a solid, you know, anyway, <laughs> longevity is a different topic, but Dave I want to awesome. if you're listening, shout out to us on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. And I'd, I'd be happy to be on your show. Yes. No hate. <laughs> Awesome. So to re-emphasize this, guys, stress alone can cause leaky gut. And this can be related to, or it can be totally independent of your gut microbiome or the good and bad bugs that you've got set up. But then stress can also sterilize the gut. So let's dig deeper into that part of the equation because this is just so wild. Yeah, it's like literally like the layers of chicken and egg. I was trying to get (laughs) this graphic developed for my book and I think my publishers were like, no. (laughs) Because it's like, right? It's like, so like you just said, stress alone can cause leaky gut or it can be bacterial mediated or the bacteria can drive more stress or the stress can sterilize and drive imbalanced gut bacteria. <laughs> so it's like, no matter what, there's this vicious cycle. And that's why we have to kind of put a pawn, if you will, at each door of the, of the entryway of the house to protect our system and optimize health and create stabilized, balanced mood. So just to kind of touch real brief on the microbiome and its role, there are and we also do talk about this in what was that episode 54, Becky? I think I yes. had it back. Okay. So, you know, there are over a hundred trillion cells of bacteria and yeast in our body. And this is what makes up our microbiome. And our initial thumbprint of our microbiome was developed at birth. So whether we were uh, cesarean or vaginal birth, that has a big influence with that inoculation. And if you're someone that is pregnant or potentially has to have a C-section, I highly recommend you listen to my third trimester and birth story podcast episode, because I talk all about vaginal seeding and how you can actually inoculate your baby with vaginal bacteria even if you have to do an emergency C-section or a planned C-section for whatever reason. 
But anyway, so there's, there's that, that canal initially that inoculates and then breastfeeding. And we talk about that thoroughly in our breastfeeding episode. And those serve as a big thumbprint to what sets down your biome. However, there's absolutely lifestyle influences. There's diet. Like we said, a higher sugar diet tends to eat, feed yeast overgrowth or a higher refined carbohydrate diet tends to feed bacterial imbalance because they thrive in those types of environments. And overall, we call it a symbiotic environment if the gut is in optimal balance. And during symbiosis, which typically means dominant in lacto and bifido strains, we see ample production of GABA and serotonin. So those are the two, again, that really help to, generally speaking, stabilize mood and balance anxiety and stress response. And then if those are off, we're talking about a dysbiotic environment. And in a dysbiotic state, we see excessive epinephrine, which epinephrine is, in layman's terms, adrenaline. So when your gut bacteria is off, it actually drives excessive output of stress-responding chemicals. And we also see an influence again on secretory IgA and, and the LPS, as we just mentioned. So there's both a neurotransmitter direct influence from our, from our gut bacteria, and then there's also a leaky gut connection to our gut bacteria. Awesome. And then beyond that, there's even research that looks at a sterilized microbiome being related to things like schizophrenia and mania and anxiety right, right. and being able to reverse those conditions by adding probiotics. Yeah. I reference a really cool study in my book about that. And so again, there's the role of gut bacteria on your neurotransmitters, but stress, chronic stress over time anxiety and mismanaged stress response sterilizes your gut bacteria and alone just not having enough bacteria, even if you're not in dysbiosis, even if you don't have. So sometimes when you look at like a stool test as a functional practitioner and you're like, oh, <laughs> I didn't find candida or, oh, I didn't find, you know, a pathogen. And I swore this person had GI stuff going on. We'll take a deeper look at what's going on in their positive strains of bacteria and if they're actually manufacturing or proliferating that probiotic supplement you're giving them. You know, so that's something to look at as well because just sterilization itself can cause mental illness and anxiety. Sure. And maybe they're not at the point of overgrowth of bad bacteria yet, but if they continue on this sterilized path, there's definitely that propensity too. Susceptibility for sure. Yes. And then there's the influence that stress itself is going to drive. So, so dysbiotic environment is going to drop your hydrochloric acid. So you start to get, uh, you can get more acidic in the blood with bacterial imbalance, but you lose your digestive enzymes. And then we actually through stress itself, get only about a quarter of the amount of digestive enzymes produced. So remember, we're not in that fight. We're not in that rest and digest mode. We're in fight or flight mode. So our body doesn't have enough stomach pH to break down food particles. We don't have enough enzymes to break down food particles. And then we have all these larger compounds getting fermented by the imbalanced gut bacteria or not having the good bugs to help to break them down as well. So it can totally lead a crapshoot, if you will, pardon the term, um, of an influence on the gut itself and your GI function and motility. And um, also, of course, that connection right back to the brain. So by just taking a high quality probiotic and a digestive or digestive enzyme, which I liken to a digestate, um, this can not only reduce bloating and GI distress, 
but it can also make sure you have balanced brain and mood. So cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So those are like two simple entry points, right? And that can have a huge influence. So you mentioned the digestate. That's the naturally nourished product enzyme that I'm a huge proponent of because it has DPP-4 in it, which breaks down the opioid influence of both casein and gluten. So if you are to have gluten exposure or if you are to have dairy and you're concerned about the inflammatory influence, the digestate actually is going to break down both the lactase, dairy uh, carbohydrate, but also the casein, which drives the inflammation in the brain. So you get that mood stabilizing effect from the digestate enzyme that you won't get from just a standard enzyme that has your, you know, uh, proteases and your hemicelluloses and the compounds that break down your hemicellulases, excuse me, um, any ases basically across the board, lipases to break down fat, you're still getting comprehensive enzyme support to break down carbs, proteins, fats, and vegetable fibers, but you're getting the DPP-4 on top. And then you're also getting the hydrochloric acid and the bile to help that entire process. So huge fan of that. It's a very low investment. I think it's like 33 bucks and it will definitely not only help reduce GI distress, but it will also help potentially to absorb the nutrients in the meals you're eating, reduce inflammation in your body, and in this turn of this conversation, help to reduce anxiety and, and manage your mood. Awesome. And I think that's what's so cool about you know strategically using some of these quality formulas that we talk about rather than a pharmaceutical where you have the side effect of weight gain or risk for suicidal thoughts with an antidepressant you can use these functional medical grade supplements to enhance mood and replete deficiency, which can also in turn aid in healthy hair and skin and nails and improve your sleep and yada, yada, yada on down the list. Your metabolism versus weight gain. Yep. Totally. Totally. So I am. Yep. And that's why these are tools. And once you get to a state of above water, you may need them less reliant. And I think that that's a really reasonable approach is when you're in a mode of suboptimal, yes, you need to use food as medicine, but you need to also support the system and get above water and using nutraceuticals is a big tool for that. So we'll be sure to, of course, as we always do, we always are linking the supplements that we carry and recommend in our show notes. So it's always something you could consider. And if that product doesn't work for you, you can read about the active ingredients and look into a different product. But like Becky said, we do a big thing about this is uh, my naturally nourished line is pulled from the top formulas that I've used in my clinic for over 2000 clients. And these have shown to have the best outcomes. They're third-party assessed for potency and purity. And it's a great way for me to ensure that I'm able to directly provide you with highest quality products that are safe and effective and stored in good conditions. You know, there's a lot of concerns about buying supplements on Amazon and such. And then we read about things like fish oil that has soybean oil in it because the unfortunate element is if you're not getting third-party assessed, and only the company that makes money off of the supplement is the one that is getting the reports on it, then that's probably not one that you'd like to buy. Right. And with so many, you know, so many products on the market and so many different people trying to sell us things and yeah, all of the pyramid schemey supplements and, you know, this and that. And, you know, we don't want to put ourselves on a million things by just watching, you know, 
some special on TV. We really want things that have been not only assessed by third party, but also assessed by a practitioner like Allie. <laughs> so something that has our stamp of approval has likely been used with hundreds of clients with great outcomes or else we wouldn't be using it. Absolutely. And as you'll see, when you follow me on Instagram that I use all of them myself all the time, pretty much. Uh (laughs) Becky and I have a little repertoire of rotation, as we've said. And uh, of course, then you're voting with your dollar and and supporting us sharing the message. So blah, blah, blah. Enough on that. Awesome. Uh, (laughs) Let's talk about a little bit deeper into the nutrient piece. (laughs) Yes. So before we get into, you know, foods per se to support, um, let's talk about the brain gut connection to nutrients. As you mentioned, this access itself can drive nutrient deficiency and again, vice versa, chicken egg. Totally. So, you know, stress itself actually can deplete glutamine. So this can be again, mental stress or anxiety. And we've seen in studies with actually cows that are going to slaughter, uh, a lot of slaughterhouses have worked different ways where they put blinders or basically don't have the cows exposed. It's very morbid to think about, but where they don't have the cows exposed to each other being killed because that drives anxiety because they're like, oh my gosh, my friend just died. And, you know, then they start to get glutamine depletion and it makes very tough meat. So it's kind of an interesting thing to consider. Um, and we know glutamine, one of the clinical signs of low glutamine status is sore muscles. So that totally makes sense right there. And glutamine also has a huge role in the body. And if you've listened to me talk about it at all, you know, I'm a huge proponent of it in healing leaky gut. So, you know, L-glutamine is the primary amino acid compound that can actually be a fuel source and a building block to our enterocytes or to our gut cells. So I use L-glutamine in the form of our GI lining support powder in all of my patients that are doing the MRT protocol. If they're doing an elimination diet, I have them all on that GI lining support powder to coat and soothe and heal the leaky gut. I have people on the GI lining support that have inflammatory bowel disease for their lifetime. Um, It's one that I definitely take higher amount. This was the other one that during those three uh, lectures, I will take higher amounts of, of the GI lining support under times of higher stress because I know that I'm burning through that at higher amount. And then I'm probably also on like an event like that, maybe going to consume a little bit more alcohol. There might be more celebratory event, or I might be dining out more if I'm out of town, staying at an Airbnb or something. So GI lining support is one also that you can use to help with the stress. But again, knowing that not only does it repair leaky gut, but it itself is on higher demand. And then again, because we have lower stomach acid under stress, we can see deficiency of nutrients like zinc. There's a huge connection of zinc and anxiety and that zinc to copper ratio and that playing a role with things like ADHD, concentration, autism, focus, and then anxiety for certain Uh, We see B12 can be depleted with low zinc. So that's when we think of with people that are on like, for instance, proton pump inhibitors like omeprazole um, and those types of drugs, Prilosec, they tend to be deficient in B12 and get B12 related anemia. Well, B12 also can drive neuropathy or tingling sensation and it itself can be a big driver when deficient of anxiety. And then the final thing we can get deficient in from stress is magnesium. Um, So magnesium can actually be depleted because it's an overdrive to help to release or relax the tension we hold in our muscles. So think about that. One of our most chronic or common signs of stress 
is muscle tension and muscle aches. And that ties to magnesium deficiency and glutamine depletion. So really interesting when we put all of this in, into this picture. So, so cool. So again, here you could take our B12 boost as a sublingual lozenge, which is going to aid in bioavailability to rebound quicker. But if you don't correct the underlying issue, you may not get the best outcomes. So if the B12 is an issue of you know, absorption, then at least taking the digestate and then working the stress access is going to help with that absorption. Um, and then potentially using GI lining and maybe considering the MRT would be best approach for sustainable outcomes in terms of leaky gut. Right, right, for sure. Because if you just try to replete the nutrients that you're deficient in because of leaky gut, then it's like you're like chasing water from a, a sieve, you know? <laughs> it's like you're constantly filling it and it's pouring out. Um, so it's definitely important to always, that's what we keep coming back to is what is your root entryway? And yes, you can use tools to support mood, but you think of why are you taking zinc as a supplement to stabilize your mood? Yes, that could be a good tool to stabilize your mood, but why do you need zinc? What are the conditions that are causing your body to need zinc? And that's what a good functional approach will address, you know, getting to the why so that you can address that area of focus while you replete that nutrient. Awesome. So let's get to my favorite part now. Let's talk food as medicine and let's start off with options from the anti-anxiety diet uh, that were designed for resetting the microbiome. Okay. So there are areas on the microbiome chapter. I think that's chapter three in my book. And we focus on the breakdown of food as medicine to support your cleanse and then food as medicine to support your gut flora. So we talk about a cleanse as an element if you're in that dysbiosis state. So if you have signs and you fail my quiz on dysbiosis, then you might want to focus harder on these, these recipes to support a cleanse. And this is like my bacteria battling chimichurri, which has things like oregano in high amounts and olive oil and garlic and uh, other herbs and seasonings that have antimicrobial and antifungal and antiviral influence. There's also a recipe called lime in the coconut fat bomb. And so this is a fat bomb, which has high amounts of caprylic acid and monolaurin, all those natural antifungal influences in coconut, which we talk about in our episode of the podcast on coconut, which is an awesome, fun episode to listen to. And then I have my curry roasted cauliflower in there, which I make like every other week, if you follow me on Instagram. Um, and that's really great because curry itself actually has antimicrobial properties. And then the cauliflower supporting phase two detox helps a cleanse because it aids in breaking down the biofilms and helping to encapsulate and remove the toxins that are released from the die-off of gut bacteria. Awesome. And then what about food as medicine to support like after the cleanse to support? Yeah. Yeah. Or if you don't need the cleanse. Yeah. Maybe you're just the sterilized person. Then we're focusing on things like my chia seed pudding because chia seeds are going to be that like oopy goopy uh, fiber, which is going to coat and soothe the gut and feed gut bacteria. And that paired along with my quick coconut yogurt. So the anti-anxiety diet is completely dairy free. So we make a very quick, easy to do coconut yogurt that's just fermented um, at room temperature. And then there's also a green chili chicken soup, which uses like jicama, which is a prebiotic to feed good gut bacteria. 
There is also, of course, bone broth in that. And um, there's a little bit, I'm trying to think of what culture in there. There's, I think it might just be the jicama to feed as a prebiotic in that one. Um, but it tons of different cultured ideas to stabilize and nourish your positive microbiome flora. Awesome. And then before we get into probiotic supplements, let's talk a little bit about the probiotic challenge that you feature in the book that we use all the time in clinic. Yeah, this is like my go-to when people, I have a client that calls the stool test, the sexy stool sample. Um, she's like, my SSS isn't ready yet. Um, and so if you're not ready to commit to doing a sexy <laughs> stool sample, you might want to just start with, which can be pricey and it's a lot of information. It's awesome test to use. But you know, if you don't want to get into that level of understanding your microbiome, you could do a very cheap approach using a probiotic challenge. And we use our baseline probiotic, which is a 15 billion blend of lacto and bifidobacteria. And it has no inulin, no FOS. You do not want prebiotics when you're doing a probiotic challenge. You just want pure probiotic cultures. So we'll put a, sh a link in our show notes to the restore baseline probiotic. And also you'll see if you click on that through the show notes, that in the product details, I went in and added how to do a probiotic challenge because every time I lecture, I talk about it and people are like, where is that? And we have yet to put a pretty blog out on it. But basically, it's, in my, it's in my to-do list for this weekend, guys. Well, I threw it in the supplement too, just like so it's there under the display. Cool, good. Like, this is the one you should use for a probiotic challenge and then good. that's what you do. Yeah, just because it's right there. So yeah, so Coming. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it'll be in there. So you know, what you do is you actually take your waist measurement at rise and rest for three days as a baseline. And then you start by one probiotic capsule at bed. So 15 billion units at bed for three days. And then the following three days, you add another one. So you're at two capsules. And then at days seven, eight, nine, you do three capsules. And then at 10, 11, 12, you're doing four capsules. And so you're up to 60 billion, 15 times four, 60 billion colony forming units of the 50-50 blend of lactobifido. So four capsules of my baseline probiotic. And you're measuring your circumference or waist changes uh, from rise to rest as a variant. So are you getting more bloated or distended? Are you getting more inches increased throughout the day uh, as you're adding bugs to the tank? Because that might mean then that there's dysbiosis fighting. So you're getting a battle environment in your GI tract. You also watch for inflammation signs, sleep disturbances, mood disturbances, and then other markers of GI distress like loose stool or constipation to have an influence, you know, if, if you fail the challenge or if you get worse outcomes. If you get improved outcomes, then you would transition to the targeted strength probiotic, which is 60 billion units per capsule. And if you get no change, no good, no bad, then you can just stick with the baseline one at bed per night. There's kind of a little bit of a choose your own adventure based on your outcomes. And then we talk about in our microbiome episode and in my book, I go into if you fail, you likely want to use my Beat the Bloat ebook and consider a candida cleanse. So that's talked about, I think, throughout. We, we don't have time today to go through that, but we have a lot of resources on what the cleanse looks like. And you can find that in the, the Beat the Bloat ebook. And Becky can link the uh, bundle, the candida bundle, which is used for dysbiosis and candida as well. Awesome. Will do. Um, so what about food as medicine for repairing the gut lining? So yeah, we talked about the microbiome support. Now on repairing the gut lining, we're looking at bone broth, of course, 
like duh. Um, one of my favorite foods, I'm always talking about many of its benefits because it has the collagen and gelatin and that's that oopy goopy coating and soothing support for connective tissue. But bone broth also has that L-glutamine that I spoke to which is in our GI lining support powder. So, you know, you can get that through bone broth in a food as a baseline support. And I de generally recommend six to eight ounces every single day. And then I also talk about using things like turmeric. Um, that's in my supplement suggestion for repairing leaky gut. Our super turmeric, which has the active curcuminoids with turmeric oil. So that's going to reduce the inflammation in the gut. And then even considering a good fish oil, there's a lot of studies on inflammatory bowel disease and omega-3 supplementation reducing gut inflammation. So if you reduce inflammation, then that paired in the state of having bone broth on a daily basis and using the GI lining support is going to help to seal and repair that leaky gut. And then the recipes that I feature in my book include grass-fed beef bone broth, my chicken bone broth, a chai coconut gelatin, which is super dreamy, where you brew a black tea, uh, you add chai seasonings, and um, you use a can of full-fat coconut milk, a scoop of gelatin you blend it in a blender and make like a panna cotta. It's amazing. And then my almond collagen hot chocolate. So those are all really dreamy ways to repair your gut lining and stabilize your mood and all of the things. Oh my gosh. Sounds so yummy. Those last. <laughs> I will definitely be making those soon. Maybe the hot chocolate, not so much. It's getting hot in Houston, but the chai coconut gelatin just sounds amazing. Yes. Yes. I, yeah. Well, now you have the pre-release so you can, yes. you can go do that. <laughs> uh, so, so much here, um, so much <laughs> that we've covered today. And I feel like we're still just scratching the surface. Of right the gut brain access, but I know I had some real aha moments even during this podcast and in reading your book. And I hope that you all did too. So before we let you guys go, let's just collectively take a moment to breathe and take it all <laughs> in because that's the one thing that we don't want the anti-anxiety diet to do is drive more anxiety. <laughs> yeah. What's going on in my body. So wait for the book. It's coming. <laughs> yes. And you can reread it and you can listen to things. And again, the beautiful thing is you can start simply with the piece of removing those five inflammatory foods, or you could start simply with jumping into keto as an approach to stabilize your mood, or you could start simply with making my chai coconut gelatin, <laughs> right? So it can be an abundance-based approach, but I hope that today's episode definitely ties in that gut-brain access and the deep, deep intricacies of layers of the onion of chicken and egg intertwinedness that basically the best line of defense is to do what you can to stabilize your biome and your gut lining, and then do what you can to be mindful when you're under excessive mental stress so that you don't destroy those areas of your body. So those are the two kind of different feedback mechanisms that we can do to line down foundation. And I hope that not only will that help with whole body health, but that will help with mental clarity and mood stability. So until next time, as always, if you are loving the podcast, take a moment to jump on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Please jump over to I, uh, Amazon, excuse me, and pre-order a copy of The Anti-Anxiety Diet. Share this episode with your friends and colleagues if you had aha moments too. And uh, thank you for listening and we will see you next week. Thank you. 
for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.